0: Chapter 10. Just who is God? This chapter addresses a major problem. The replacing of the exclusive that is set apart righteous names with counterfeits. With that in mind, how can we worship the true biblical creators if we don't know who they actually are? After the reams of scripture smothering us with the importance of gaining understanding, the logical place to begin would be to discover who our Creator Father is. That discovery process was one I myself unwittingly experienced. Talk about stepping into a whole new world of understanding. That said, it seems strange to ask what the creator's name is, considering everyone assumes they already know. God. Everyone talks of this one called God as if that's his name. But therein stands the white elephant in the room. How foolish have we been to accept this generic title God as the creator's name. How is it he doesn't have an actual personal name? The greatest hoax perpetrated by the demonic puppet masters through religion is coercing humanity into worshiping pagan gods in the place of the true creators. Growing up in a church called Church of God, I was conditioned to believe the name of our creator was God. That wasn't a problem until reading about a Muslim man with a knife attacking a French Jew coming out of a synagogue, exclaiming, God is great. Suddenly it struck me, my belief in the Creator's name is God that was a real problem. How was it this murderous Muslim man also believes in and worships the same deity named God as do me and my church? Is there not a problem with worshiping the same deity named God? as the man whose heart is full of hate and murder? With that thought in mind, how does it work for opposite sides in a war to both expect the same deity named God to answer prayers in their favor, that is to win? If both sides are worshiping the same deity called God, how could he favor either? While pondering this spiritual quandary, it came to me there could be a conversation between a Muslim, a Jew, a Protestant, a Catholic, and a Mormon about God with all being in perfect agreement that God is the true deity that whom they all serve. But how confusing is that? Considering all the groups just mentioned have insurmountable differences, agreeing on virtually nothing, how can their claim to be worshipping the same deity, i.e. God, be remotely possible? Just to show how silly that idea is, people make the incredibly redundant statement God is God. Let's be honest, using God as a definitive title, a a definitive title as a name, is no different from saying governor is governor, or president is president, or senator is senator. How silly, but this analogy brings us to the heart of the problem. All this confusion has been generated by erroneously using a generic title as a name. With the multiplicity of gods worshipped, the only way to avoid such confusion is obviously to use personal names. Using this title, God, as a name creates another problem in Scripture, considering it's used to describe angels, demons, idols, men, and, of course, pagan gods. Of course, that's not to mention how it's been erroneously applied to Father, Creator, as well. In fact, the first commandment confirms the fact that God and Lord is only a title, not a name, where we're told, You shall have no other gods. Obviously, there are other gods who also have personal names. Consequently, using that generic title as a name for the Creator has reduced Christianity and other religions to utter nonsense. After all, many Native American Indian tribes, such as the Pomos, believe God is an animal. Is the god most of the world worships an animal? But then 1 Corinthians 8.5 states, For there are many called gods, or God, whether in heaven or on earth. Can we honestly believe the Almighty Creator has no problem with sharing His title and or name with idols and pagan animal gods? Once in a discussion with a young Protestant man, I asked him if he believed there was only one God. His answer, of course, was yes. I then asked him what that one God's name was, That is, besides God. Naturally, he couldn't tell me. The problem with virtually all good Protestants is they believe in three gods in one, the Trinity. So to use a personal name for their one God while believing in multiple gods in one is a significant quandary. In lieu of that conundrum, Psalm 9.10 tells us, and those who know your name, and it does not say names or titles, those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Yahweh, that's the Hebrew name, he gave Moses, have not forsaken those who seek you. Most people believe it really doesn't matter what the Creator's name is because God, the one they believe is Creator, knows those who worship Him no matter what name or title they use. After all, isn't it all in how we worship Him, not what we call Him? But to illustrate just how ridiculous that notion is, All you have to do is call your mate by someone else's name, especially in an intimate moment, and see what happens. If it's offensive to us, just how much more of an insult is it to the honor of the supreme creator of the universe? After all, would you dare go before a king who's nothing compared to the creator of the universe and call him just any generic name you feel? Like, dude, talk about a quick way to lose your head. Obviously, addressing the creator of the universe with whatever name we feel is incredibly disrespectful and so foolishly presumptuous. The bottom line is, the creator's name is unique because of what and who he is. Actually, the Old Testament scriptures tell us his name is Kodesh. That's the Hebrew word incorrectly translated holy, which means set apart or exclusive. In fact, Yahweh declares His name is a name above all names and always will be. The fact His name is exclusive and set apart, He can never share His name in any way or with anyone except His own children. To share His name with demons and angels would mean it's no longer set apart or exclusive and He is no longer greater than His creation. One of the great downfalls of Bible-based religions is they only look at the few scriptures supporting their pre-programmed beliefs while ignoring and rationalizing away the rest. When many scriptures say one thing, but a few seem to say the opposite, isn't the safe bet that it's the few that are misunderstood? Sadly, utilizing that process has resulted in religions of fables. But then that's exactly what Yahweh foretold in the name of, in the time of Ezekiel. In chapter 13 and verse 8, we find this dire proclamation. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, Because you have spoken or teach nonsense and envisioned lies, therefore I am indeed against you. Considering what is presently being preached in Bible-based churches, no truer words were ever spoken, as you'll see. With those thoughts in mind, let's continue with what the scriptures say about the true name of our Creator. In Isaiah 64, 7 it says, And there is no one who calls on your name, that is Yahweh, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. The question is, why does no one call upon his name? Is it because his name has been forgotten? With that intriguing thought, Micah 4 verse 5 tells us, For all people walk each in the name of his own God. But we, the righteous, will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, forever and ever. If there were ever a scripture capturing the true essence of our Christian world today, would that scripture not be it? After all, God, Jesus, and the Lord are the chief names or titles people walk in. It seems this generic title name God is the most favored because a person without knowing it can be tricked or deceived into worshiping different and multiple gods while maintaining the delusion of worshiping the one true creator. Sadly, we don't give the demon adversaries nearly enough credit for their craftiness, while giving ourselves way too much credit for our own wisdom. Uh, That's called self-righteous pride. Moving forward, another issue causing faulty understanding of Bible scriptures is flawed translation. Naturally, when faced with a variety of different words or meanings, the translators automatically or naturally chose the word or phrase best fitting their belief system, right or wrong. On top of that, there are always those in authority who force the translators to inject their personal will into the text as well. One such example was noted earlier in the King James' insistence of church in lieu of ecclesia, or called out ones. Again, the greatest translator tragedy and determinant to understanding was the replacement of the Creator Yahweh's name with the, that generic and our pagan title the Lord, not to for, forget God. That seems shocking, but after the Babylonian captivity, a, a leading rabbi, some say Helal the I, decreed the Creator Yahweh's name was too sacred for the common man, was only to be uttered in the sacred ceremonies. Such reasoning makes absolutely no sense, considering Yahweh's set-apart name was originally used almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament alone. Many of those verses literally commanding the use and proclamation, not to mention the glorifying of that exclusive name. We'll get into some of those scriptures shortly, but just to make note of a few of the names they replaced the Creator's exclusive name with were Jehovah Jehovah, Lord, the Lord, and God. Again, the original Hebrew name of the creator was a tetragrammaton YHwH. In the ancient Hebrew, the vowel sounds were understood in a writing form called "unpointed script," which was no vowels, but did include vowel sounds. Unfortunately, most Jews listened to the rabbi's advice and ceased using Yahweh's personal name, causing the actual pronunciation to become lost. But according to the modern Judaica encyclopedia, the true pronunciation of the name Yahweh was never completely lost. In fact, several early Greek writers of the Christian church testified the Father Creator's name was indeed pronounced Yahweh. Uh, Getting back to the translators adding insult to injury, they translated the original Hebrew into Greek and English, but left most of the names in the transliterated form. But when it came to the set-apart sacred name of Yahweh and His Son, they strangely felt the need to completely change them. What does that tell us? What or who do you suppose possessed the translators to believe they had the right to do this? Why did they not leave the sacred names alone? Or at least just transliterate them into English letters the way they did most Old Testament names? Well, we have a strong hint of who in Jerome's translating of the Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek into Latin. In his memoirs, he claims a divine epiphany urged him to change the name Hillel, which means God of death, i.e. the dragon, to Lucifer, which means Lightbringer. So, as 2 Corinthians 11.14 proclaimed, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Well, that is exactly what he or it did with Jerome. How amazing that to this day people are still calling the dragon God of death an angel of light, Lucifer. Aside from the dishonoring problem of changing the exclusive personal names to the generic and or pagan titles, resulting in a massive loss of understanding, the readers of scripture have no idea exactly who is being referred to in a given passage. The generic title, Lord or God, could be anything or anyone, an angel, a demon, or even a man. Lord is only a title of someone in authority over someone else, like all the English lords. By changing and or substituting the sacred names, the Bible became a vastly different book. After all, if you took a history book, which the Bible very much is, and changed all the chief name names and or titles, would it not be reduced to mostly nonsense? That said, if someone had an agenda to erase Yahweh and his sons' names from mankind's memories, what better way? In fact, Bible scriptures predicted Yahweh's people would do that very thing quite literally causing his people to forget his and his son's name. Again, all through the Old Testament, the Israelites kept falling into the worship of pagan gods such as Baal, that is, the Lord, or Baal Gad, which is Lord God, and again, to be enslaved by their enemies for doing so. They would endure great suffering until they would finally acknowledge their deviant behavior, repent, and return to Yahweh. The most loved of three primary pagan gods, the was the son of the Canaanite father, God Baal. The Lord, oh yeah, the Lord. Second was El, or Elohim, that is, God the Father. And third was El's consort, Ashereth, or Astarte, with our modern version being Mary and Child. But how amazing to see the names of the pagan gods modern Israel is using are the same as our ancient forefathers, only with a fourth Greek god added, which is Jesus Christ. To bring this chapter to a close, a couple scriptures in Malachi 1 really bring this subject into clear perspective. It says there a son, like Yeshua, honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence, says Yahweh, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says Yahweh, I will send a curse upon you, I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart.